You're listening to the Faith and Other Oddities podcast, brought to you by the Raven Creek Social Club, where we talk about faith and other oddities. For questions, comments, or to be part of the conversation, join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find us at Raven Creek SC. Now for your hosts, Emily Dixon and Nathan Underwood. So I had a weird thing happen the other day. And I mentioned, I made mention before that there was a, a comic that I owned that was Captain Marvel. And at the end of it, at the end of it, these characters came and just like packed up the universe and Captain Marvel was just standing on a blank, uh, blank page. Like he was on a, on a movie set that everything had been hauled off. And, and so what's funny is before we recorded that episode, I mentioned on that episode, I mentioned that I have it, but here's the funny thing about that. I found that on the shelf among my regular books, which is odd because that's not where I store my comics. Right. And so I thought that was kind of odd and I pick it up and I look through it. I'm like, Captain Marvel, which, which edition is this? Yeah. Which issue is this? And so I, I, Flip through it, I'm like, oh, it's this one. I didn't realize I'd bought this. I want to read this again, and I probably should. So I put it back on the shelf. And since the time we recorded that episode where I mentioned it and this episode, I've looked all over my shelves and I cannot find it anywhere. Yes, skip timelines. So I don't know. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> yeah, did did something, did somebody forget to rebuild my set or did uh <laughs> I jump into another timeline it's like being an episode of star trek where it should be right here it, it should be i'm pretty sure it was on that particular shelf right there but i've looked on every single one and i can't find it um so that's just bizarre what do they call that there, there's uh, it's like the whole berenstain berenstein debate where mm-hmm. uh you know I can remember as a kid, Baron Steen. I, I, I remember sounding it out. I remember being confused when people said Baron Stain, and it just did not make sense. So I, there, I think there's something going on there. I, I, yeah, but I remember Baron Stain because I hated the way it sounded, um, <laughs> even though like that's what it said on the page. Yeah, well, the, the Henry VIII painting of him holding the turkey leg that does not exist, but everybody remembers haven't seen i don't remember that one see i i have the image in my head so plain as day i think too many people have been to medieval fairs they've seen a guy (laughs) dressed as henry Henry the eighth with a turkey leg i think that's what that's about maybe well and then there's the whole sinbad did a movie with him as a genie that actually never happened Mm -hmm. so i I I, i read that article but I don't remember the Henry VIII. The and and I know the they're I think they're confusing was it Kazam with Shaq. Well, I see. I can see that. I, I can see that. That would be something I would be and not I, familiar enough with to say one way or the other. Okay. And so here's here's what I think happened with that one is there was Kazam with Shaq, but then there was also the Adventures of Sinbad the Sailor, which. The costuming on was like very similar, very similar. And I think that's what happened is those three things colliding in people's minds, you know, like, like just running around in there, like the Hadron Collider (laughs) messed it all up. 
Well, it, but you know, I, time is such a weird commodity. I, I don't know. I, I love all the quantum physics and mathematics, even though I couldn't do any of it to save my life. I like the the principles behind it and you know the whole multiverse sort mm-hmm. of uh, yeah. Uh, idea and that I don't know I don't know a lot of Christians who are who are really against that because oh wait a minute you know you can't have a multiverse because then God's not because then I can't be as narcissist I mean because (laughs) I I I know I'm with you God's infinite he can have as many universes as he wants yeah I mean I mean it's just kind of a silly limit he built this one can't he build another right Um, and who are we to say they can't And, and I to me, it's one of those things, is it, when you look at questions like that, does the answer make God bigger or does it make him smaller? And anytime it diminishes God in my mind, then I'm automatically, I'm going to reject it just, just outright. Right. Well, it, but to me, it's like, it, I think that tells you more about what the person thinks of themselves and their own importance versus God. It's like, oh no, he can't make another universe. Well, why not? Well, because then it dismantles what I believe about this one. Why? You're in this one. Well, uh, <laughs> that's, the one that, that's the one that matters to you. Well, and here's the other thing, because it's kind of backwards as far as the narcissism, uh, narcissism goes. Because theoretically, in these infinite number of, of universes that God is infinitely in charge of, there would be a number of you out there, maybe not infinite, but definitely numerous some version of you in in different ones so you actually you become larger within this scenario too no but then you become less unique and that that's counter to the narcissistic thing I so know. yeah i i don't know but i mean of course is are they are the are the multiple universes are they actually parallels or are they different dimensions where different rules of physics apply yes <laughs> <laughs> Yes, it's all of that. And again, speculation. We we don't know the math. Well, Um, and I think this is something you and I have talked about so often. We take for granted that what is is what has to be. And we we assume that because we live on a spherical planet. Like the royal we. Yeah, yeah, we. Yeah, yeah, not not you and me specifically. Mm -hmm. Because we've talked about this. Because I like the thought experiment. Well, what if there is a universe out there where the Earth is on the back of a turtle? Or, or what if there's a universe that the the planets are conical? Uh, that wouldn't work in our the physics that we have going on in right. this universe. But who's to say it couldn't work in a universe that doesn't operate by the same laws of physics that that are govern us? Yeah, and, and nothing has to be the way it is. It, it could be any way because we serve an infinite God with an infinite imagination, and so. Why? Why do we have to? I, I just don't understand when people want to limit what God can do because it makes them uncomfortable. It, the the things that God has revealed about Himself should make us uncomfortable, right? So, right. Again, why so, are we making this arbitrary line? Yeah, and and yeah, and, and it's just, and also, it's a lot more fun to um, you know, just play with those ideas. It doesn't mean you have to embrace or accept them or be dogmatic about them. But at least be able to ponder them. I mean, God surely is okay with us pondering these these well, things. I, I think it just opens up a different dimension of God. It opens up a different dimension of our own being. Um, you know, okay. 
total speculation. I need to preface this like big time <laughs> speculation. I don't know this. I'm not saying the Bible says this. I'm not saying that any of this. But you know, you and I, one of the thought experience we had uh, that we've talked about is at the Tower of Babel. What if what wasn't com- what that what if what was confused there wasn't just the spoken word but just communication in general? I think I think it was more communication in general because I know I know they often use uh, tongues to refer to languages and that's probably ultimately what it was. But I think there's also a lot of interpersonal communication skills that we lost at that time. Well, so. I would even you know let's take it even to the nth degree and go like telepathy. I mean, I, I, I can I go think, there. I, I know you can go there. <laughs> sure, whatever. I mean, I, again, why draw the line there? But, you know, I think, is it, is it possible? Sure, sure. I mean, I think there's, there's, there's definitely, we have a God who can speak directly to our minds or, you know, or, or what have you. So why wouldn't we? But I, I don't know if it's, I don't know. Well, I don't, I don't know if I'm ready to actually go there. I mean, it would be great, but well, if, although is it <laughs> is it would we really want to be able to read everyone else's thoughts? Well, you know what what got me actually thinking about this was when we worked. Uh, you and I did a reception for a, some friends of ours. They were getting mm-hmm. married. That mm-hmm. was our wedding gift, and another friend showed up, and he said it creeped him out the way that we work together. Right. Because you and I don't have to talk a lot of times when we're doing some kind of manual labor, a nod, a grunt, a, right. a, you know, a gesture, and we're, we know what the other one's already thinking. Right. So, I, I think, you know, what if that was going on, and maybe even a deeper level, and I think telepathy is probably the best way to describe it. You and I aren't telepathic, right. but no. we just know each other. There's that, that, that familiarity because we grew up working together. Mm-hmm. And so... You know, that, that's a thought experiment. I, I'm not saying that, that that's definitely what happened, but I think playing with that idea, yeah, it, that's fun. And I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think it actually causes us to be more imaginative about the text in general. Right. And, and yeah, well, how, well, speaking of, yeah, I feel like we've gotten on really long Well, this. this is our oddity but, part. <laughs> but yeah, it, yeah, and this is, yeah, this can be the, the, the oddities, sure. But um. But yeah, speaking of things not having to be the way they are, <laughs> let's talk about Genesis. Yeah, so uh, we left off with Lot and his daughters last week and how he abdicated his role as father and uh, father and protector for his daughters. Mm-hmm. And so in the end, that reverses. And, and reversal is a huge theme in the Bible. Uh, and now Lot, when he abdicated that role as father and protector, now he needs protection from his daughters. And I think that's that. That's just a really cool. I mean, it's horrifying, but it's also kind of cool that that God allowed this to to be reversed, and so the the victim becomes the the ones who rise up and take advantage of the situation. I don't know if "cool" is the word you'd want to use, but yeah. in- interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Illustri- illustrative. Yeah, cool makes it sound like it's something that you should want, and it's <laughs> yeah, not—it's nope. not something you want. Uh, but you know, sea cucumbers aren't something you should want, but they're still kind of cool and in a disturbing way. So, the sea cucumber—that's uh, that's that's, in, that's an interesting choice. Well, that's the one that pukes out its guts so that the predator can eat the guts and it can escape. Huh. Yeah, and evidently this is food. Well, but. it's something the predator wants. But go ahead. <laughs> so okay, so we've left Loft and his daughter behind. And now, 
we real we never returned a lot, really. Um, we we do hear about his descendants later on, but now we're back with Abraham and Sarah, and I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this chapter because we've already heard this story. This this story happened already with Pharaoh. So well, it, so we're getting to Abraham and Abimelech. Uh, mm-hmm. Just kind of set it up. Um, it's basically kind of a, it's a retelling of of what happened with Pharaoh in Egypt when Abraham. You know, we talked about the second time he pawn, tries to pawn his wife off as his sister, mm-hmm. and so that's basically what happens here. But again, we're going with the retelling, so let's talk about what's different here and what's important, right? Because you can only contrast similar things to find the differences, and so you've got to have something similar to start out with. And so the main premise, like you said, very similar, um, but. Two things going on here. Just as Pharaoh is never named, Abimelech is never named in the Bible. This is actually just a title for a great and mighty king. And so he is, um, it tells us a little bit about his nature. Abimelech is one of those characters that never changes. Wherever he shows up, he's the same dude all the time. And he's just kind of got this entitled attitude. He's got this, look at me, I'm so righteous, I'm so great. Sounds like the heathens are home. Yeah, the uh, children are home. So, um, he, he takes, what Sarah, that sound was. <laughs> he Sorry, takes Sarah as his wife, and um, God comes to him in a dream and says, hey, you don't want to do this or I'm going to have to kill you. It, it, it just, that, that's pretty much what it boils down to. Yeah. It, it's a good paraphrase. <laughs> Essentially, yeah. Good. Well, and I, I think this is really interesting, too, because if you compare and contrast this to when Jacob has the dream, the, the wording is that, one, uh, it, there's a, a distinction here, and I know we haven't got to Jacob yet. God appears to Abimelech in a dream. God imposes himself into Abimelech's dream. Mm-hmm. God becomes a part of the dream that Jacob was already having when you look at the wording and how it's set up in the Hebrew. So Jacob's dreams were to see God and God revealed himself where Abimelech, he's not looking for God. Right. And and this is a really great testament of God's sovereignty. He doesn't have to, he he didn't have to appear to Abimelech. He's not who Abimelech is necessarily worshiping Mm -hmm. and yet he can still show up. And so I thought this was a, that was a really good point that was being made. Are you talking about God showing up in a situation where someone doesn't worship him specifically? And I, I think we mentioned like the Dagon thing with Jonah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, God showed up and used the fish to talk to the people who were not worshiping him. They were worshiping the fish and he decided to show up. Um, yeah, just, yeah, you, you see that. It, it, and it, it makes sense. Yeah. So when Abimelech um, has this dream, this, the other thing that happens, we talked a little bit last week about how we're starting to get a hint that Abraham is a prophet. Mm-hmm. And here's the first time that we have the word prophet appear in the text. And it's spoken to Abimelech on behalf of Sarah. So the first time the role of prophet is identified, it's in the service of, of protecting a woman. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very interesting. And the word in Hebrew is navi. And it comes from the Akkadian Navu, and it means called one. And so, our idea of prophets so often have gotten mixed up with the idea that 
to be a prophet, it's someone who can see into the future and who can foretell things getting ready to happen. It kind of gets conflated with soothsayer. Well, it, it, it <laughs> does because what the word means called one. And in the Latin, that got picked up uh, as vacativa or vacativo, which is um, where we get our word vocation. Okay. So, so it's not just the idea of uh, someone called to tell the future. It's just anyone who has a specific calling. Mm-hmm. And now, obviously, being God's prophet encompasses more than that. But when they went back and, and translated the Bible from the Hebrew to the Greek, trying to figure out what word to use was very difficult. Mm-hmm. Because in Greek mythology, uh, we very probably the most familiar to people uh, was the, the, the oracle at Delphi. Mm-hmm. Delphi the, uh, we see that in, uh, kind of represented in 300, where you've got the woman who's receiving mm-hmm. the messages. She's actually the conduit that comes in contact with the gods and is able to give the information. But then, as she is a mantis, she is not a prophetess. She is a mantis because she goes into an altered state. She is able to receive these words. And then the prophet is the one who takes her words and translates them so that um, the kings can, and the, the, those coming to the temple can actually understand what's being said. Interesting. Yeah. So is that, is that where we get the term mantra from? Is that I would have to, man, I would have to go back and research that because now we're getting into more of the Sanskrit. Linguistics. And yeah. And so, and I didn't do that side of things. Uh, I, I studied a lot of this with my, with my uh, thesis about the, the prophets. And so the prophet is the one who speaks. And that was the, a question, not a statement, by the way. I don't oh, want to think that yeah. I'm like throwing that out there. So Yeah. And that I, I, would be interesting to, to uh, research. Uh, but yeah, the prophet is one who speaks on behalf of the other. And so the, that's basically what it means. So God's prophets speak on behalf of him. They don't have to go into an altered state. They don't have to take leave of their senses in order to, to speak. Right. Okay. And, Makes sense. Well, yeah, because madness and uh, being a prophet were often conflated. Even, even King David, when he was hiding among the Philistines, when he realized, oh, wait a minute, they might kill me, he pretends to be mad and they won't touch him because he might be a prophet. Okay. Yeah. And so it, it, you get some really fun um, dynamics going on. A, another one in Exodus, we talked about this before, Exodus 7, when God tells Moses, I'm going to make you like a God, mm-hmm. and Aaron's going to be your prophet. Aaron's going to speak on behalf of Moses because Moses is claiming to stutter. So therefore, he needs someone to be his voice. Gotcha. So this is the first time we see this, this come up. And, and it's interesting to me that. It's in use with a foreign person. It's in use for the service of a woman, for the protection of a woman. Mm-hmm. And so this is pretty significant because there's this law of first mention in translation <laughs> that basically says the first time something comes up is going to kind of define its usage and it's going to kind of show you the importance and significance mm-hmm. of that. So this is the first time it comes up. The second thing that I think needs to be pointed out is when Abraham's confronted, Abraham goes straight up used car salesman on Abimelech. I mean, he, he just gets all sorts of, well, you know, it, I was scared you were going to kill me. And 
it's not really a lie. She is my sister, and it, it, we do this everywhere. And there, there's like all this justification and all of this rationale about why it was okay for him to lie. Right. And, and the thing is, if you look at the words in the Hebrew, I don't think it comes out in the English so much. If you look at it in the Hebrew, the verbs are the same. The words that Abraham uses um, and the words that Abimelech uses to God, they're the same words. It, it's the same verbs, kind of. They're talking the same language here. Okay. And so you've kind of got this conflation between Abimelech and, and Abraham kind of having these same characteristics, which really isn't too much of a stretch because Abraham is not, um, you know, he's been called out of this culture. He's been called out of this foreign land. So he's not, he's in the process of converting and in the process of becoming who God wants him to be. He's mm. not there yet. Right. So I, I, I think that's kind of one of those things that, that we overlook and we miss that this kind of Abraham and Abimelech kind of click. Right. And, and matter of fact, Abimelech asked Abraham to stay. And, and this is going to be important because uh, Isaac's going to have an interaction with Abimelech later. Mm -hmm. And so Abimelech and Abraham, they make this treaty. Abraham stays there with him for a while and everything seems to go well because they speak the same language. Right. There, there's, Helpful. Yeah. There's, there's no real distinction between the two. So, and one of the things in Abraham's, um, speech to Abimelech, and this is kind of telling, that he says in verse um, 13, God made me wonder from my father's house. And, and, and the wording there is wondering, aimlessly lost, I, I'm hopeless, there's, there's despair, and, you know, God made, and there's this implication that God made all these great promises, but he's not following through on them. And, and Abimelech's kind of like, oh, you know, dude, I gotcha. You, you just stay here. We'll take care of you. And so the, there forms this, this kind of bond that, that shows that Abraham still hasn't managed to separate himself fully from the people he was called to leave behind. And before we leave this story, um, we should notice what's not in the text. Because what's not said is often as important as what is said. No, is this where we're going to compare the more of the Pharaoh and Abimelech? Yeah, yeah because there's there's one main distinction, and there there is just one really. The Bible specifically says that Abimelech had not touched Sarah. Right. Well, and, there's there's that, and isn't this where Abraham says, "No, I'm not going to take your stuff." That was, no, that was um, with the four kings. That was, okay, that's right. That was before. I was, I was looking for it here and I, th I was thinking, yeah. So, yeah, he specifically says, yeah, because it wasn't, that was what was not in the, the, the recount with Pharaoh is that. Yeah, Pharaoh gives him stuff. Now, Abraham does receive something from Abimelech, actually. Uh, he, he gives uh, Abraham, let's see how much silver, a thousand pieces of silver, uh, 1,000 pieces of silver. And this was customary. This was not um, part of the Jewish law. This was actually part of the law of the land that if a man took another man's wife accidentally or whatever, mm -hmm. I don't know how you can accidentally take a wife, but evidently it happened enough they had a system in place. What do you think happens in <laughs> Vegas all the time? It, it stays in it Vegas. It stays there. <laughs> so, um, 
but yeah, I've, I've never done it. <laughs> I've accidentally taken a wife. But that's kind I, of... I was very specific <laughs> about well, my it, wife choosing. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, hey, she looks good. I'll take her home. And so, yeah, they had a system in place that basically, if you took another man's wife accidentally, and then you, you find out and you're going to return her, then you have to pay that husband money as kind of a testament to say, hey, I, I, didn't, I didn't touch her. And, yeah. and the fact that you paid the money was kind of, it told the community, she's, she's, she's fine. I, I didn't it, realize that. That's a, yeah. And this, we have, we have other archaeological uh, proof and data that shows that this is not just with Abraham and Sarah. This actually went on. Yeah. It's funny to me the way if, when you're going to return her, I'm like, did you be sure to take your receipt? Like, <laughs> um, sorry. That was terrible. Well, and, but, it's weird. Just the just the way you phrase it. I, I'm not I'm not for spouse purchasing. Seems like a bad idea. I, I yeah. <laughs> I I think it's illegal in this day and age. Yeah, um, well, but yeah, laws of the land. And, you're and in. it's also a bad idea. So go ahead. <laughs> very very bad idea. But I, Abimelech's wording is actually very telling here because one of the things he says is. Uh, I herewith give your brother a thousand pieces of silver. And so even as he's returning her, he's still saying, well, you know, yeah, you're, you're a sister. You're, you're not, you're not really his wife. And Abraham still isn't thinking of Sarah as his wife. Right. She, she's his sister. And now, is, it, is it that, or is it, or is it, uh, or is he being like a jerk about it? Yeah. Yeah, here's for some money for your brother. <laughs> this is where if women had written this, we would know so much more you know information. Exactly the answer to that question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah here's course, some money. Be sure to take it to your brother. Mm-hmm. He's, yeah. Well, it's because it, that's how I read it. I really read it as when I first went through that it was kind of snarky. This, this uh huh. Your brother, yeah. give him the money. Yeah, but. The one of the teachers I was listening to, he he's like, no, this really tells you where Abimelech and, and Abraham were talking this the shared language before, and and then to have this follow up that Abimelech he, he knows what's going on, right. he he he's got a good read on the situation because he identifies himself in the situation. He could be Abraham, sure. And I think actually this is a good place to answer a question that uh, one of uh, the people in the paddle store. Uh, asked us about Abraham and Sarah being brother and sister. And the, uh, by the way, the paddle store, shameless plug, if you're a supporter on Patreon, you get to be a member of the paddle store. And this is where we discuss all the stuff and you can suggest show topics and uh, ask your questions. So one of the members in the paddle store asked us, um, why was this allowable? Why was this something that, that occurred? Yeah, well, and and they they did that in light of of the uh, mm-hmm. Levitical or Deuteronomy, but it's where it talks about who you're allowed to mm-hmm. pair up with. You know, you're not supposed to uncover the nakedness of your sister and brother and your aunt and your very specific list. Aunt, your uncle, your mama, your granny. <laughs> uh, sorry, that's a yeah, no, very very specific list in Leviticus, and of course we know that Leviticus was written later. Mm-hmm. But the problem is we have 
some very good clues that there there is an awareness of at least some of the Levitical law. I even look at Abimelech uh, when he responds to God. Um, he says, and God said to him in the dream, I know that you did, I know, okay, wait a minute, let me back up. Uh, this is verse 4, chapter 20, verse 4. Now, Abimelech had not approached her, and he says, oh, Lord, will you slay me even though, even though innocent? He said, he himself said to me, she is my sister, and she also said, he is my brother. When I did this, my heart was blameless. My hands are clean. Mm-hmm. And then God says to him, I know that you did this with blameless heart, and so I do not, so I do so I kept you from sinning against me, and that's why I did not let you touch her. And so th- there's some understanding there is a moral code. Right. And, and even if you read a lot of the, the uh, Midrash and uh, the ancient stories, it, it's interesting because they'll have like people davening and saying certain prayers that hadn't been written yet. Right. And um, so th- this presents a problem because why is Abraham married to his sister? Now, she's his half-sister. Uh, they had the same father and a different mother, which would not have been that uncommon because polygamy, you know, obviously it's a thing at this point. Right. Early death and childbirth, multiple marriages and things like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the the thing is, we got to remember Abraham was not a Christian when he, or Christian, he was, he was never a Christian. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. Well, I have a spoke there. Yeah. <laughs> Abraham was never a Christian. But he wasn't even a Jew at this point. Right. He, he's the father of the Jewish nations, but, but he's got to go through this process in order to get there. And so when he married Sarah, it, it was before God had even revealed himself. So how would he know what was right and wrong? How, how could he begin to anticipate that this is what God was going to have him do or you know what he was going to demand of people? So I, I think we need to be understanding even today when we look at believers are they living up to the state you know what are they having to do to honor the commitments and do the right thing based on the decisions they made before in light of what they know as new believers right because i mean i I know i think we've both known couples who maybe got married before they were christians and then Then converted yeah one of them converted the other one didn't and you stay together yeah yeah and because two wrongs don't make a right. And so to to divorce Sarah at this point, I, specifically when God has included her in the covenant promise, mm-hmm. we, we, we that would just be horrible. And so it, I, I think that's that's kind of what it comes down to. Um, and, and a realization that people make mistakes. And in ignorance, we can violate God's word. and then we have an obligation to live according to the word as we as we learn it. Well, and that 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 whole idea is encapsulated in the whole story, um, where the the king says, or, uh, what was this? Abimelech. Sorry, mm-hmm. lost his name for a second. Where Abimelech is like, no, my, I was not sinning against you when I acted that way, and God's saying, well, we're going to stop you, but now you know, mm-hmm. and you have not uh, done anything binding, mm-hmm. so we're going to stop you from from. From putting yourself in a bad situation, or a worse situation, rather. Right. I would hate to have to knock you off. Uh, so, and, so, you've got that going on. And the, I think the other reason, too, and this is actually not me, this is something that, that was pointed out by many Jewish scholars long before I was born. Um, 
the the inclusion that the Abimelech had not touched her is important because the very next story is when she has Isaac. Right. And so there can't be any confusion. Right. Yeah, as to who was the father. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this really does protect Isaac's identity as a child of the covenant. And that's going to be so significant as we move forward because we're getting ready to go into um, Isaac's birth, the expulsion of Ishmael, mm-hmm. and the uh, Akeda or the binding of Isaac. So you've got these three stories that are going to build on who who's who has which identity, uh, who who's Ishmael mm-hmm. in the in the scheme of thing, and who is Isaac in the scheme of thing, and how does Abraham view Sarah and Hagar, Isaac and Ishmael, and how does that affect his progress in in stepping into his role in the kingdom? Right. So, do we want to? Go jump into that part, or well, do we have anything else to cover beforehand? Because we are we're a little short on time, but we can get started with it and kind of set the stage. You know, I, yeah, okay, we can what we can cover. Um, let, let's talk a little bit about uh, the importance of these passages that we're getting ready to go into, and okay. maybe maybe we won't go into the passages just yet. Maybe we'll save that for next week. But the these passages, I did not realize they're read on Rosh Hashanah. Okay. Rosh Hashanah is the Jewish New Year, mm-hmm. and so and it happens somewhere in it because the Jewish year is based on lunar cycles, mm-hmm. and lunar cycles are not as regular as solar cycles. So well, there, is, there is regular, but they they don't sync up annually uh, to the position of the Earth, uh, you know, yeah. where it is with the sun. It's not it's not in sync with our. With our with the Earth's orbit of the Sun, right? So the dates move around, and there's like a whole complicated mathematical system. Yeah, and the seasons move. Sorry. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. They have to do this whole whole thing to make sure that like Passover is in the spring and that the New Year is in in the fall. Which uh, the New Year is in the fall. It's um, when there's harvest. Mm-hmm. Be- and the reason for this is uh, well, there's part of it's laid out in Exodus and how to keep the dates, but also uh, part of it goes back to when Adam and Eve were in the garden, the, the first day of creation, they stepped into a garden that was full of fruit. And so mm. it was already ready to su- sustain life. Okay, that, that makes sense. I, I do think it's funny, though, and this is kind of an aside, that, that you know, now we're using the Roman calendar, basically, mm-hmm. um, that so many other cultures celebrated the, the new year in the fall, and in Rome, it's in the winter. Yeah, and I don't know why that is. Do you? Um, I, you know, I know that uh, a lot of it, at least in the, you know, Roman pagan cultures, Roman culture, pagan culture, you know, Celtic and all that other stuff, a, a lot of that, you know, had to do with the death of the, what they called the death of the sun, where mm-hmm. um, it was, you know, your days were getting shorter and things like that. But I don't know why Rome, why the Roman culture would be farther in. I, the only guess I have, and I, I mean, we can do research. If anyone knows, tell us. You know, we're we're open to we're, more information. Us, <laughs> yeah, but I, I think it has to do with the the solstice mm-hmm. uh, in the Roman calendar. There's the shortest day of the year, mm-hmm. and so now your days are getting longer. Um, 
and I don't, but I don't know why so many other cultures have it in the fall, like the Jewish culture and a lot of the the Celtic cultures had it. You know, where Halloween would be, uh, or Samhain, mm-hmm. uh, which is spelled S A I M, no S A M H A I N N, um, because it's Gaelic and not not <laughs> right. English, and Gaelic like French. They don't like to pronounce all the letters in a word just throw a few extra yeah. ones in there for kid measure <laughs> yeah, it's like like yeah uh, r a q a p and a z um but the yeah so but i don't i don't know why it would start why your new year would start with the day still getting shorter yeah that's uh, the roman cal i mean i guess that's the difference between our minds and the ancient mind we it, it, it yeah i would have to do some major research and now the the sitting the now the thing with that the the jewish reasoning with adam and eve it, that's when creation was finished mm-hmm. um in a in a garden full of full of fruit for your first year yeah that would make sense but i don't know in the other cultures so yeah um, I, I, and it, it, the thing is this date really does uh we i we aren't going to go into it uh fully I, you'll just have to take my word for it or um Reference Dr. Heiser's uh, teaching on uh, the date of Jesus' birth and uh, the importance of the the new year. Mm-hmm. And so this this is the and we'll link to that in the show notes. Yeah, we should because it's it's really interesting. But typically, uh, New Year's is sometime around September. Usually and, early, yeah, usually early September. Mm-hmm. And so you got you've got September. And um, up until the 800s, it was only a one-day event. You, you, it was only celebrated. 800 uh, CE, 800 AD, whichever one you want to use there. Uh, it was only a one-day event. And on Jewish holidays, a lot of Christians don't realize there's a set reading. There's set passages that you, you read through. There's set patches, passages that you pray through. And so you've got to know what they are, and and this this continuity that that's just gone back. I mean, it's amazing to me that we know eight hundred years ago on the first day of you know the year, every Jew in the world was praying this prayer. Yeah, and yeah, and well, and that's actually you know a lot of uh, a lot of our our more liturgical churches are just kind of a continuation of that kind of tradition, and that's actually we had a one of her friends converted to Catholicism and she said one of the things that she liked about it was that knowing every believer um, was, was learning about the same story mm-hmm. that, that same morning whenever you go to mass. And I do think that's, that's kind of cool in, a, in its own way. I will say it, it's one of those things that it's, it's kind of cool if you go approach it with the right attitude. Um, I did have, so <laughs> it was so funny. Uh, it reminds me, because there, there is a counter to this. There was, uh, when it was mid 2000s, maybe, no, I guess maybe 01, 02, back in the day. And I was playing at this church and we had a, we had a guest worship leader come in who was like the, the music professor at, at one of the colleges here in Oklahoma. And like they, they opened the the service and he's like, stand with us together as we sing the currently most popular worship song in the whole world. <laughs> and uh, and I'm like, well, that's a silly reason to sing a song. 
and we sing lord i lift your name on high which at that point was probably like what already 10 years old something like that and you know you know there's there's sure there's there's good parts to that song but the fact that it's it was like by that point it was already old and everyone was kind of tired of it and and i think that i mean we can also talk about the staying power of worship songs if we really want to get in that topic but I do think, you know, when you when you're like, oh, the number one worship song in the world right now, let's sing that. Oh, well, that's not a good reason to sing it. Right. It, um, popularity but, it does not define how we practice our religion. Yeah, but when you look at like the liturgical calendar and and how we want to do things in a unified way as a church, and you you have it in that perspective, it's uh it, it's it really brings in a, a deeper meaning to what you're doing. Well, and, and I, there's even, I would say, another example that's even, uh, it happens a lot and people don't realize it, is when pastors all go to the same website and get the same sermon. <laughs> and it, now I've got no problem with pastors using tools, don't get me wrong. It, it's hard teaching. Um, but the, and using the tools and the resources that are out there, that's fine. But don't pass them off as your own. Right. You know, <laughs> that's. Right. That that's I've seen that happen in more than one church, and, and matter of fact, it w- one church that will remain nameless. When I pointed out that I realized this was what was going on, I had a pastor who got really mad because I shouldn't know that was basically how it came across. And I'm like, I, I but I have a brain. Right. <laughs> I mean, no, I, it, it is really funny because I actually I did work last year. I worked mm-hmm. for four or five, maybe six months for a company that that did that 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 mm-hmm. wrote sermon. Uh, outlines for pastors and i just keep waiting for the day that i go and i'm like hey i wrote this sermon <laughs> i i just i you know now it was it was a pretty skeleton outline so that you'd have to put in your own filler but it was it was a it was a really fun job but i i keep waiting for the day whenever i i come across that i'm just i'm just like it's a, i think see, that'd be kind of cool <laughs> well see and i think i think a good pastor could take something like that and spend some time praying over it and, and working with it to to bring something unique and special so that maybe you wouldn't even realize uh, if he did it. I think if he did it right, you would not even realize it was your pre- your sermon. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, now, uh, yeah. Good pastor. Yeah. And and now it, the, I think the, the giveaway would be if you worked actually in the uh, if you were to work for this because it was a, it was a full like package mm-hmm. uh, pre- presentation. You would get you'd get graphics. um and and pre-made slides that you could put the outline on and you could and you you could adjust the outline it was it was really in depth um but i think if you worked in the graphics department you'd be more likely to be like oh hey that's uh well and it's probably actually a safer way for a lot of churches to go because guys come on copyright infringement's not cool it's yeah. just not yeah and i oh well, i'm using it for jesus uh-uh not a good excuse. Okay. Right. Well, and, and they're actually, there, there are, there's been a lot more crackdown on stuff like that over the last years. Um, but there, there are, churches are getting, at least in the bigger churches, they're getting a lot more savvy about going, okay, what legally are we required to do in order to use this image? And, and a lot of them are paying uh, their dues and, and royalties on images and songs. So that's, and that's, that's good a, news. Yeah, that's a good witness. And that's in keeping with what the Bible would require of us. And, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I could get lost on that because I think sometimes we as Christians forget that uh, the ends do not justify the means. And that is actually a lack of faith. 
and like with Abraham uh, mm-hmm. passing off his his wife as his sister that's that ultimately is a lack of faith yeah he could have died because somebody wanted to kill him for his wife but if god had promised to make him a father of a great nation and sarah was the one who was going that child was going to come through mm-hmm. then he needed to trust that god would fulfill his promises and and stop trying to manipulate situations where he could be safe you know uh, we just spoke earlier about a situation where you said, hey, if I lose my job over this, God's going to have to step up and take care of me. Yeah. Because, and sometimes it, it isn't simple. It, it, it really is. So, um, well, what we were talking about was when we were talking about, uh, we were talking about last subject. It's not like I'm not doing anything shady. Yeah. We were just talking about the last episode and talking about, uh, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah and all that. So, I was making a joke. Yes, you know, it was. It was. I'm not, not actually in danger that I know of. Um, I don't think that would happen. Yeah, I, I, and I, that I don't. I, I know you aren't there, and I, I think the the thing is, I think there's got to be a little bit of that attitude though in what we do as Christians. That if if I make somebody mad or I offend somebody for, um, and I'm not talking about deliberately being offensive. I'm talking about if you are truly living your faith and something you do offends somebody then you need, still need to be graceful and mm-hmm. and handle it in, in a, a polite way but yeah but but there are there are people in the world who will take the fact that what they're doing is offensive as their litmus test for oh well the gospel's offensive so what i'm doing must be the gospel if it's offensive no it doesn't work that way hitler was offensive <laughs> so you know if we're going to go down that road oh man yeah let's not even <laughs> yeah let's not do the hitler argument that's ridiculous <laughs> So anyway, uh, but it makes a point. So Rosh Hashanah, Rosh Hashanah, uh, yeah. So it, uh, up until the 800s, this was like a one-day event, and um, the thing is, in modern times, a lot of the emphasis is put on the second day's reading, and the second day's reading is the binding of Isaac, and I think we're kind of all familiar with that. And as we get ready to move into the uh, expulsion of Ishmael and the binding of Isaac, which is Genesis 21 and 22. Mm-hmm. I, I would encourage anyone to take some time and actually read through that before Yeah, before the next, next week. Yeah. yeah, just so you're familiar. But the today we kind of think of that, it's thought that the Binding of Isaac is the cornerstone text for that holiday. Mm-hmm. But when it was just a one-day celebration, the cornerstone text was the expulsion of Ishmael. It was not the Binding of Isaac. And so I think the Binding of Isaac kind of gets overlooked, or not Binding, the expulsion of Ishmael gets overlooked even in Christian circles today that we don't see that as an important story. Uh, and we, it's, it's because nobody looks good in that story. Right. Yeah. Everyone winds up being disappointing in some form or fashion. So I think by taking some time and actually looking at it and seeing why it's necessary to be familiar with that story before we get to the binding of Isaac. Which is, you know, Binding of Isaac's like one of the top three stories in Genesis. Mm-hmm. And so, to get there is, um, that's going to be important. It's going to help us understand and get more out of the Binding of Isaac that we wouldn't see otherwise. So, we've kind of rambled around everywhere today. But, I, I don't know. I think this is probably a good place to to say. So, that kind of that gives you some of the importance of it. And we'll... And we'll- We'll get more into it, and you'll kind of see that as we get through the text. But anyway, um, that's probably a good place to wrap up for this week. And But we just want to say thank you to everyone for tuning in. Um, if you like what you heard, like, subscribe, share, um, write us a review, 
those things help us out. If you really like us, hit us up on Patreon, uh, everywhere you can find us on social media, all across the board, Raven Creek SC, RavenCreeksc.com. Um, questions, comments, anything like that. We want to hear from you. And uh, Complaints into him. No. <laughs> Other way. Uh, so anyway, no, we, uh, we enjoy having you. We enjoyed the conversation. And again, thank you as always for tuning in and we will see you next week. Oddities Podcast, a Raven Creek Social Club production. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you like what you've heard, please write us a review on iTunes or consider supporting us on patreon.com slash ravencreeksc. As always, thank you for listening and don't forget to join us next week.